This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Well, it is not Bill Newman. It is Buzz Eisenberg sitting in for the vacationing. Bill Newman here with Monty Belmonte. Hi, Monty. Hello. Pulling double duty today, I, I see. I know. Morning, afternoon. What's the difference, right? Right. And it's, uh, you must be so relieved you don't have Newman in the studio. I am. You have Thank somebody God you're here, Buzz. Uh, what you needed was a good civil rights lawyer to <laughs> converse with in the morning. Absolutely. I know. So I'm really um, not happy, Monty, about this uh, the uh, law, which finally, after 22 years, I think, of advocacy by immigrants' rights groups of um, getting immigrant drivers' licenses uh, to finally be a possibility, uh, after much negotiation, finally a strong bill was passed by both chambers and the governor vetoed it. And now a group, uh, a Republican-driven group called Fair and Secure Massachusetts Committee has garnered what apparently are the necessary 50,000 signatures to put it on the ballot. So in November 8th, we're going to be voting whether or not to undo this bill that finally this law that was finally passed. What think you? Well, passed and then vetoed, and then it, the veto was overridden by the legislature. And overridden, I forgot to say Who has been working hard on this for a long time, including our own state legislators. Uh, I remember going to a, a meeting with uh, right across the street at the Pioneer Valley Workers Center with State Representative Lindsay Sabadosa, State Representative Natalie Blay was there as well. I know State Senator Joe Comerford has been supportive of this. Um, well, the entire delegation was supportive of this. Paul Mark and, and uh, Adam Hines and Eric Lesser, they were all supportive of this. Yeah, I don't, you know, people have a right to express what they believe in and they want to get the signatures to put a thing on the ballot. I think that, you know, that's the way the laws are written and that's what is going to happen. And it, I have no reason to doubt that they have not done this on the up and up. Personally, I think about the actual issue that... I don't understand what the issue is. Are, what are people afraid of? Uh, I would much rather know that somebody must be licensed to drive, regardless of what country they originally came from, if I'm going to be out on the roads with them. I drive really early in the morning. Somebody almost ran a stoplight and T-boned me today. So, you know, if I got hit by somebody who was not licensed and uninsured and my car gets total, or if I get really injured, what's going to happen to you, to and me, your family. So exactly. even for my own selfish reasons, even if you don't want to think about, you know, trying to make other people's lives less dangerous and scary, think about your own self and think. Well, well think well, about your own economy. Think about your yeah. own communities. Think about the workers that we need, who tend to be uh, immigrants, and many of them undocumented in immigrants. And the answer to your question is, I, I've got it right here. I'm looking at a Boston Globe article from August 22nd that details what this GOP-driven effort is uh, what the foundation is for it, and it's frankly misconceptions and flat-out lies about immigrants in general. Let me tell you what it is. Number one, what they say is um, the, the commission of crimes. They talk about the fact that undocumented workers commit such crimes. And I saw this morning... Like driving without a license? I know that's a civil infraction, but... It's a civil infraction. <laughs> well, in fact, their number one thing is they broke the law by coming... That's what Baker said. Mm -hmm. They broke the law by being here illegally, quote, unquote. Also a civil infraction the first time, right? Exactly. It's a civil infraction. See, that's what happens when I hang out with so many lawyers. You're getting it. You're getting, <laughs> take the bar, man. You are ready. <laughs> but uh, if anybody wants to look at real crime... There's a study that was done by Douglas uh, Massey of Princeton University. It was completed in October of 2020, studying crime rates between 2012 and 2018. I could give you details because I've got it right in front of me. 
But let this suffice. In terms of violent crimes, which are murder, non-negligent manslaughter, forcible rape, um, assault and battery, aggravated assault, and um, armed robbery, uh, more than double the number of crimes committed by U.S. citizens than by undocumented. Uh, property crimes, I could go with those, see what those are, but it's more than quadrupled the number of property crimes committed over that period, 2012 to 2018, by U.S. citizens relative to the less than 24% of that number committed by undocumented. Drug violations, two and a half times for U.S. citizens. Traffic, more than double, on and on. When we're talking about crime rates, undocumented are here to make a better life. And of course, there are some bad eggs in the barrel, but am I mixing metaphors? Bad well, eggs? I don't know. You could keep eggs in a barrel. I don't okay, see why good. you put it. Okay, good. So in my, in my barrel, <laughs> there are a few bad eggs, but most of my eggs are really pure. And, <laughs> and, and as you said, it's just a civil infraction. But what do they think? They're going to get a license? And that even, if they, even if what they believed was true and they were committing crimes at a greater rate, why would, why would they want to not let them have licenses? Because they're the other, I contend. Like, there's nobody here to defend the position, but I'm looking at this article, I'm looking at their arguments, and I've got a lot of Roman numerals in here, down to five that I wanted to refute. But the bottom line is that um, it's, there are 340,000 estimated um, undocumented in this state from time to time. They come here seasonally, they, some of them work in, uh, in, in agriculture and some work in masonry and they come and they go. But the bottom line is they are productive citizens. See, I've represented a bunch of them. I've represented 21 on driving related th things over the last four years since Trump took office. Mm -hmm. And every one of them only want to work. They only drive so that they could work, and their employers all want them to work. And and as an employer, you would want your license, your you know, your employee to be licensed, so that they're not going to get pulled over and um, you know detained or maybe even deported. Although that's not supposed to happen in sanctuary cities and states, or uh, that you have to pay for a van, right? Supply a van to pick up your workers to bring them to and from work, right? And uh, or if there's an emergency with their kids to go and pick them up at school. I mean, these are people, they're not on welfare. We could refute that. I could give you some boring details about they are not on government assistance. They're not tapping our uh, resources unfairly. They're contributing. They pay, pay taxes. By and large, they pay taxes. It, it's really just a sham. Governor Baker should be ashamed of himself, I think. But thank you. I think you're right. And I think that I hope that when this goes to the polls, as it looks like it will in November, that the people of Massachusetts will understand that this is not, we're not the first state to try this. I believe this will be the 17th or 18th state to enact it. We're not hearing all of these dastardly tales from licensed drivers in other states. We should be And we've had a long time to look at it. I, yeah. I just want to remind, so since you're an attorney, yes, I want now. to talk to you, counsel. <laughs> My brother knows that back in 2010, there was a United States Supreme Court case called Arizona versus United States. If you recall, one of the aspects of this new law that Arizona passed was to give law enforcement greater freedom to stop people because they kind of look different. Right. Right. What could go wrong? Right. That's why it made the front page, but why it also should have made the front page is because part of that Arizona law criminalized um, uh, being undocumented. 
and the U.S. Supreme Court said, you can't do that, Arizona. That's up to the federal courts. Mm -hmm. I mean, the federal Congress. It's not up to Arizona. And they invalidated uh, that, uh, that law saying it was unconstitutional. So, again, going back to Attorney Belmonte's <laughs> contention, it is not a crime to be an undocumented uh, immigrant. In Any more than it is if you get caught speeding. Exactly. It's a civil infraction. That's a great time to break, Monty. We'll be back with Attorney Belmonte. We're also going to be back with SciTech Cafe, uh, Associate Professor and Chair of Physics at Mount Holyoke, uh, Kirsten Nordstrom. She has an astronomer, a researcher by the name of Jason Young. I love being here. Isn't this better than having Bill Newman in the studio? Absolutely. Much better. We'll be back after these messages. This is Bill Newman. Do you know what's happening this Friday at 9 a.m.? Is this week's Shop Friday, Hanger Pub and Grill? Correct! They go on sale this Friday at 9 a.m. Full value gift certificates and you save 30%. Famous for their amazing wings and beer, the Hanger Pub and Grill has multiple locations throughout Western Mass. The Hanger Wings paired with an Amherst Brewing beer is perfect before a game. After work, lunch. Check them out. Get ready to save 30% beginning Friday at 9 a.m. The Shop 30 store at whmp.com. 586-1000. Good phone number, right? It's the number Whalen Insurance got when we opened in 1961. It's still our number more than 60 years later. If you need an insurance quote or have a claim, just call 586-1000. We answer the phone, ready to help. That's our pledge to you. Until now. Now when you call, we'll answer. And if it's something clerical or routine, like an address change, we're going to transfer you to the Arbella Insurance Call Center in Quincy. You'll be connected with a real person there, too. You won't be entering your policy number on the dial pad. The Arbella Call Center. I told myself Whalen Insurance would never do this, but insurance agent friends all over New England tell me it actually works really well. So we're going to try it. And if it doesn't work well, I'm sure you'll let us know by calling 586-1000. Whalen Insurance. Local people, local service, local insurance. In partnership with Arbella Insurance. Sign up for Will Bike for Food, the Food Bank of Western Massachusetts annual cycling fundraiser presented by Stop and Shop. Every dollar raised provides four meals for those at risk of hunger. Ride 10, 25, 50, or even 100 miles on Sunday, September 25th, or ride your own miles on your own time throughout September. Registration is just 40 bucks and includes a t-shirt and an all-access pass to the C.E. Floyd after party with food, drinks, live music, and more. Sign up or donate to a team or individual at willbikeforfood.org. I am Marco, and I am always been full of life, full of energy, and always on the go. At the age of 21, I was diagnosed with kidney disease. My life was saved by an organ donor. Receiving a life-saving organ put my life back into play, and I was able to move forward and make my dreams come true. Anyone can sign up to be an organ donor, whether you're 16 or 96. Be a hero. Be an organ donor. Register today. Register at registerme.org. Sponsored by New England Donor Services. 
Want to support the kind of local talk you hear on The Bill Newman Show? Want to hear your business's message here on WHMP? Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. We'll help you craft a marketing message that'll reach listeners of your favorite WHMP show. And we'll be supporting the local news, valley talk, and progressive voices you hear right here on WHMP. Let us know about your message. Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. And add your message to our mission. And hear your message right here on WHMP. Your message at whmp.com. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. This isn't Bill Newman. This is Buzz Eisenberg sitting in for Bill Newman, and I'm really glad to be here today because uh, even though we've done it over the phone together, I've never actually sat in studio with uh, Kirsten Nordstrom. I think tomorrow there's something big that's going to be happening. There is, yeah. So um, we are back after a hiatus last year and a Zoom year the year before with SciTech Cafe. So that's the monthly public science lecture series in Northampton. Uh, we're at a new venue. So this is going to be Wednesday, September 14th at 6 p.m. at APE Holly, which is at 33 Holly, part of the Northampton Community Arts Trust. It's the center of the universe now, 33 <laughs> Holly Street. Yeah. So what's going to be happening at the SciTech Cafe tomorrow? Um, so SciTech Cafe tomorrow is going to feature an astronomer. So we have Dr. Jason Young, who does some really cool research observing some stuff out there, and he's going to be uh, sharing a little bit about what he works on and and maybe some other kind of insight about um, what's going on. I think supermassive black holes are previewed, um, but Jason might be the better person to tell us all about that. What kind of stuff are we going to be talking <laughs> star about tomorrow? Stuff. Star stuff. It's what we're made of. <laughs> we are made of star stuff. That's right. Um, and actually, we're going to be looking at the, the origin of some of that star stuff. So we're going to be looking back in time between five and eight billion years ago when the universe was forming stars at a much higher rate than it is now. Um, And also when the supermassive black holes were feeding at a much higher rate than they are now. And we're going to be doing this using some images from the James Webb Telescope. Um, So this is an ongoing project um, that's part of one of the James Webb programs where we're trying to understand basically how the galaxies of today grew up to be what we see now. And we're going to do that by using the effect of light travel time to peer into the past. I'm so glad you're going to talk about this because this morning I was having my coffee and I was listening to uh, the voice on the TV and um, there were images apparently of a star being born from what they called, I think, a star nursery. Is that what they Mm. called it? That's right, yeah. Um, So the James Webb Telescope is mostly an infrared uh, instrument. And that lets us peer through the dust and see places where stars are forming uh, much more effectively than, say, for example, the Hubble telescope did. Um, now, that star nursery uh, was probably with here within the Milky Way, so you know maybe a few thousand light years away, so basically right on top of us. Um, we're going to be looking uh, billions of years back in time on Wednesday uh, to see galaxies which host star nurseries that are a thousand times larger and far more numerous than uh, what we have here in our quiet little Milky Way. So the the James Webb images, so these are all these beautiful images you've maybe seen over the past month or so because they're just being released to the public right now. Is that right? Well, uh, the images we'll see on Wednesday are going to be a preview of some images which are not actually fully released to the public yet. Whoa, VIP access. (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, just a preview, though. Okay. I'm telling this, you, 33 this, Holly is the center of the universe. It is lit. This is stuff that we're still working on. The science results are um, still in the works. So this is just a preview. Um, it's also in infrared, so you can't see it with your own eyes. That's right. Yeah. It'll just be, we're just going to be showing a blank screen. <laughs> <laughs> just blank, just, just vibes. Yeah. <laughs> just I use the same slides for images of dark matter. You know, it's, it's, Kind of an all-purpose slideshow. It's really infra Jason uh, Young, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Do, so, do we know why the these star nurseries have slowed down over these billions of years? What would cause them to be so active at the time you'll be looking at, and why they're kind of relatively inactive now? Well, it's one of the questions we're trying to answer. Um, but the basic ideas are are two things. Um, the first is that. Uh, the universe has expanded, and so there's less, the, the material has been spread more thinly. And so it's actually a lot more difficult for galaxies like our Milky Way to acquire a new gas to fuel star formation than it might have been in the past. Um, the second reason is that uh, the galaxies that we're seeing with James Webb that are forming stars at, say, 100 or even 1,000 times as fast as the Milky Way um, the energy released blew the gas out of these galaxies, and now they're kind of just sitting in these these uh, clusters where things are moving around too fast to easily support star formation. <laughs> we still see gas there, but it's really, really hot. Um, there's a huge link between interstellar gas and the formation of stars because stars are made of gas. Cool. How hot are they? The stars? Yeah. Um, the surfaces of the stars are, uh, say, our sun is uh, maybe ten what ten thousand Fahrenheit, so six thousand Kelvin. Um, but the hottest stars can be uh, uh, thirty thousand Kelvin, sixty thousand Kelvin, um, and then some dead stars can be in the millions. Wow! And it's worth wow. noting that that's the surface. That's the, the surface. The core right. is the millions of degrees. The yeah. surface is much uh -huh. cooler. And yeah, so, yeah. And so then you, at what point do you get like new phases of matter? You get like plasma formation at some temperature. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, our sun, by volume, is mostly plasma. Cool. Um, and it gets even more interesting in the dead stars. You can get degenerate matter, um, really exotic states. Very neat. Very neat. Wow. Physicist and chair of the physics department at Mount Holyoke College has brought in uh, Kirsten Nordstrom uh, and Jason Young. You're an astronomer and a researcher. So how do you get access to these James Webb images? Well, it's an application process. Um, so uh, when I was at Mount Holyoke teaching there, you know, the students were applying for grad school. There's these rigorous applications, and I, unfortunately, the bad news is it never ends. Um, <laughs> even as a research astronomer, uh, you know, you have to apply for telescope time. And the PI of our project, Alex Pope at UMass, uh, applied for time in the James Webb Telescope. And after a very competitive round of you know, vetting, um, that proposal was approved wow. and granted yeah. time. Nice. Yeah, so I have to apply for grants, so I have to apply for money. And astronomers apply for time and, and money a little oh, bit. Yes. But <laughs> yeah, unfortunately for, for all the students out there, it really does never end. It really end. never ends. No. Yeah, no. it really never ends. First, you, you, you apply for it. admission, and then you just keep applying, right? Yeah, you're always I, applying I like for to something. joke with my students that I'm in what? I think I'm in 35. 
fourth or fifth grade at this point. I don't <laughs> That's know. how it works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. You yeah. were also saying that in the earlier time that you were looking at using these images from the James Webb Space Telescope that none of us have actually got to see at this little teaser that'll be at SciTech Cafe at 33 Holly tomorrow, that the black holes were feeding, quote unquote, I think you said, at a greater rate. Why? Why are they feeding? It sounds scary Why when you they put hungry? it that yeah. way. <laughs> well, um, so the answer ends up being actually kind of the same. So in order for a black hole to feed, there has to be material around it. And the main material is going to be gas. And so the same processes that fuel the formation of stars, the availability of gas, also allows the black hole at the center of a galaxy to feed. Um, and, and we don't know why they exist yet, right? We don't, because some black holes that are smaller are stars that have come and gone. But supermassive black holes at the center of galaxies, it doesn't seem like it makes any sense. Like, I kind of can wrap my mind a little bit around star goes away, mass needs yeah. to continue to exist, it's a black hole now. But yeah. the supermassive ones. That is actually one of the biggest mysteries um, in astronomy right now. So there are some ideas, but... Um, We'd really like to, to sort of follow these supermassive black holes all the way back to their origin story. Um, one idea is that you get stellar mass black holes that form from the deaths of stars that somehow merge and collide to form these supermassive ones. Um, but it's, we really don't know. Um, it's probably something that happens very early on in the history of the universe, and it might be something that the James Webb Telescope could address. Um, but as of now, we, we don't have a definitive answer. So, Kirsten, if, if for listeners who want to come tomorrow, yeah. um, so tell them, and haven't been before to a SciTech Cafe, tell them what's yeah. going to happen. So this is, um, so we have, we're at AP Holly, which is 33 Holly Street, Northampton. There's plenty of parking. Um, center the, of the universe. Center of the universe, exactly. Um, the doors are going to open at 6 p.m. We'll get started at some point after that once everybody is shuffled in. Uh, admissions, totally free. Um, so don't worry about that. Uh, we accept donations, of course, all ages. So we get uh, kids there, um, very advanced grownups, I will say. Um, and uh, so don't worry about age. Everybody's welcome there. And then um, once Jason's done with his talk, we'll do a Q&A with the audience, uh, which is usually the, the most fun part of it. And after that, I'm going to give away some prizes to people who just show up. And we have some fabulous ones uh, this time. So there'll some be helium. Yeah, so. yeah. The no, your <laughs> own star on the International own star. Star. Registry. Um, <laughs> James Wells Webb's telescope spin the time, you know. The pictures um, from the James Webb Space Telescope <laughs> in infrared. Uh -huh, um, uh -huh. And yeah, prizes for just showing, some prizes for just showing up, door prizes, some for best question. Um, you can check us out, uh, scitechcafe.org, and our page on Facebook for all of the updates. Um, but we'd really like to see you out. This is going to be really fun. It's a beautiful space. Uh, we're really excited to be back uh, in person. And we have a fabulous lineup that we'll talk about a little more tomorrow. Yeah, and, and it'd be great to hear about it. And Jason Young, obviously, is a sort of tease of what's going to happen tomorrow and in all uh, of the SciTech Cafe. My last question for you, Kirsten, is can you tell us why you do the SciTech Cafe? <laughs> well, I think it's... Okay, so part of it is because... Um, it gives me an excuse to go in front of a room with a microphone. Um, <laughs> Never met a microphone she doesn't love. But, you know, the, the, the story is I get to do that every day in class, so I'm already scratching that itch a little bit. But I really love uh, being able to break down science and share it with the public. Um, there's a lot of stuff that scientists do that people just don't understand gets misconstrued in the media. And the concept of this is we're always talking to a working scientist 
not a science journalist, not somebody who used to be a scientist, but somebody who's actually kind of doing the work right now. And we just get a glimpse about what they're doing. And um, I hope that can be informative to a lot of people. Um, uh, sometimes the science is not sexy, but sometimes it's a little bit sexy. Um, and hopefully that gets people in the door. Um, and then they can kind of understand uh, what our jobs are like and, and how you know curious we are and how just ordinary people we are as well. Yeah. If ever there was a time for us to learn more about science, now's it's the time now. to learn more mm -hmm. about yeah. science. And luckily, we have James Webb, which is a major innovation for us to understand the, the universe. And we have people like Jason Young and Kirsten Nordstrom. Thank you so much. Thank you, Buzz. Tomorrow, it's going to be at 6 o'clock at 33 Holly Street, the center of the universe. We'll be right back after these messages with it's Duke Goldman talking baseball. Forget what you've been told in the past. Plasma. Electrons are free. Plasma. A fourth state of matter, not gas. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. The City of Northampton will be accepting proposals for individuals and organizations to receive grant money from September 12th to October 14th. Mayor Gina Louise Shera set aside $4 million to be distributed to community-led initiatives following recommendations set forth by last fall's ARPA survey conducted by former Mayor Narkowitz. The grants are one-time funds which must be used to alleviate economic hardship or negative health impacts caused by COVID-19. The city is hosting three information sessions for potential applicants, the dates and times which will be posted on the city's ARPA site. Police are investigating a serious car crash in Hadley yesterday. Around 10.47 a.m., officers were called to the accident involving a Honda Accord and a Mack truck at the intersection of Middle Street and North Lane. An 18-year-old teen from Wilbraham driving the Accord was trapped in his vehicle and seriously injured, but still conscious and speaking. The Hadley Fire Department had to use the jaws of life to free him from the vehicle. He was then taken to Bay State Medical Center in Springfield. The driver of the truck was uninjured and cooperated with police. Massachusetts voters will have the opportunity to decide whether the state should reject the new license law, allowing immigrants who are in the country illegally to get driver's licenses. Governor Baker vetoed the law. However, the veto was overridden by the Massachusetts House and Senate in June. Election officials obtained enough signatures to put the repeal on the November ballot, where voters can decide to repeal the law or not. Chance for scattered showers this morning, then showers and thunderstorms likely this afternoon. It's a high of 76 to 80. Chance for an evening shower, then breezy and clearing overnight, low of 52 to 58. Mostly sunny and breezy tomorrow, 76 to 80. 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Rochivega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. Los votantes de Massachusetts decidirán este noviembre si revocan una nueva ley que hace que los inmigrantes indocumentados sean elegibles para obtener licencias de conducir. La oficina del secretario de Estado ha certificado el número de firmas necesarias para poner el esfuerzo de derogación en la boleta. Según la ley llamada Ley de Movilidad Laboral y Familiar, quienes ingresaron ilegalmente al país podrán solicitar una licencia de conducir con ciertos documentos como un pasaporte extranjero o documentos de identificación consular. Sarang Sekhabat, de la Coalición de Defensa de Inmigrantes y Refugiados de Massachusetts, dijo que la ley beneficia a los inmigrantes y a la sociedad en general. Pero Jim Leons, presidente del Partido Republicano Estatal, argumenta que conducir es un privilegio, no un derecho. 
La ley se convirtió en ley en junio después de que la Cámara y el Senado votaron para anular el veto del gobernador Charlie Baker a su aprobación. Si los votantes no anulan la ley, esta entrará en vigor el próximo mes de julio de 2023. En otras informaciones, los abogados del expresidente Donald Trump se opusieron el lunes a una solicitud del Departamento de Justicia de Estados Unidos de reanudar de inmediato la examinación del contenido de los documentos clasificados incautados por el FBI de su propiedad en Florida el mes pasado en una investigación criminal en curso. Sus abogados en una presentación también le pidieron a la jueza federal de distrito Aileen Cannon que hiciera de esos aproximadamente 100 documentos, de entre los más de 11,000 registros encontrados en la búsqueda aprobada por la corte el 8 de agosto, parte de una revisión que un árbitro independiente llamado Maestro Especial llevará a cabo para examinar todos los materiales. El Maestro Especial solicitado por Trump y aprobado por el juez la semana pasada podría considerar documentos privilegiados y aislarlos de los investigadores. Yo soy Johan Rashi Vega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. We're talking baseball, Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man This is Bill Newman, WHMP. What a treat for me. Early in the morning, I get to talk baseball and listen to Duke Goldman, the baseball historian, the baseball writer, baseball, baseball researcher, the uh, sports-loving social justice commentator. Hello, Duke. Hey, how's it going, Buzz? It's going pretty well, and uh, I'm very, very excited I get to talk to you again. We were talking last Friday. We were talking about the role of women in, in various sports, and uh, you were learning me. I was, I was uh, absorbing everything that you were giving me. So I wanted to continue that conversation today since I have the opportunity to guest host Bill's show, and, uh, in which you are a, an informative regular. So tell us, women in baseball, what you got for us? So women have played in the minor leagues before. Most people don't know that. There was a woman named Lizzie Arlington who pitched in the Atlantic League in 1898. Um, and then there was a woman named Sunny Dunlap who played the outfield in, on September 7th, 1936 for the Fayetteville, Arkansas Bears of the Class D Arkansas, Missouri League. Um, and we'll talk in a little bit about women who've played independent ball, including this season. There were also three relatively famous stunts of women playing in baseball games. Um, one was the famed athlete Babe Dietrichson, uh, arguably the greatest all-around female athlete of all time. She pitched against the Cleveland Indians in a 1930s exhibition game. Uh, there was a woman named Jackie Mitchell who struck out Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig for the Chattanooga Lookouts in a 1931 exhibition game against the Yankees. Everybody questions whether that was a bit of a stunt itself, whether they Ruth and Gehrig were really trying, but, you know, that did happen. And then there was another pretty odd stunt that happened on July 31st, 1935, when Paul Daffy Dean, who was most famous for being Dizzy Dean's younger brother, was pitching to Babe Herman of the Cincinnati Reds um, in the bottom of the eighth inning when an entertainer named Kitty Burke grabbed Herman's bat and, and Dean threw a pitch to her and she hit a comebacker to him and uh, he tagged her out. And um, for weeks after that, Burke appeared in Cincinnati clubs and was billed as, quote, the only girl who ever batted in the National League. So there's, you know, there's, there were those things. Um, 
But as I think we mentioned in the last show, uh, not only was there the uh, League of Their Own for 12 years, there were three Black women who played in the Negro Leagues, and one of them, Tony Stone, was especially quite good. But there, were also, uh, there was also a woman named Isla Borders who played from 1997 to 2000 for Northern League teams, didn't do so well. Um, she had, as a pitcher, a 2-4 and four record with a 6.75 ERA. But this year, a woman named Kelsey Whitmore both played left field and pitched in the Atlantic League, and she retired as a pitcher, Ryan Jackson, a former Major League player. Uh, there was a team called the Colorado Silver Bullets. Some, some listeners may remember they were the first women's pro baseball team um, since the um, uh, AAGPBL. Uh, and they played from 1994 to 1997. So there's been a lot of presence of women here and there in um, organized, as we would call it. Today. Well, here, here's the big question, obviously, on everybody's uh, lips, um, Duke Goldman. And it is, we were talking about how football, and American football, it's just really difficult for somebody who doesn't have that size and stature to compete without getting hurt. And in basketball, as much as I loved WNBA, and I know you think it's a better product than the NBA right now because it's played under the rim and it's more of a team sport, and that's a great argument, and I can't say I disagree, but isn't it time that women could play in the professional baseball leagues? What do you think? Well, like I said... One woman played in an independent league. They say that independent leagues are the equivalent of approximately double-A ball. I do think a woman playing in the major leagues will happen, and it will be a pitcher in all likelihood. Let's, let's realize we do have Japanese position players now in the major leagues, but initially almost all of them were pitchers. Uh, the women have, you know, they're smaller. Even as a pitcher, they're not going to throw 100 miles an hour, but not all pitchers need to throw 100 miles an hour. And things ebb and flow in the history of baseball, like in other sports. Right now, you know, we're featuring everybody throwing 100 miles per hour. And I think that's going to change over time and more finesse pitchers will come back into, into you know, parlance and, you know, be more common. And um, I think there will be a pitcher, you know, a woman who throws a splitter or, you know, sinker balls and, you know, has great command who will, who will pitch in the major leagues. Um, what we do have now, though, is we have the first female general manager, Kim Ng, who started for the Marlins in 2021. We have Alyssa Nacken, who was the first major league baseball coach on the field. And we have a woman named Rachel Balkovec, who's coached, managed for the Tampa, Tampa Tarpons um, in Class A ball for the Yankees. So women are making inroads, and I think it's exciting. At the same time, Major League Baseball, as I mentioned uh, on our Friday show, has never had a woman umpire in the major leagues. It was exciting and to see a woman referee during the Patriots game mm -hmm. on Sunday, and I'm assuming there's nothing in the Major League Baseball rule books that keeps women from being part of the teams. Is that correct? Absolutely not. And Pam Postuma umpired in the in the AAA ball and even umpired an exhibition game uh, in the major leagues and should have gotten to the major leagues. And probably if A. Bartlett Giamatti didn't die of a heart attack, she would have gotten to the major leagues. Are there any women that are routinely either scouted or in some way uh, in line to potentially be a professional ball player and either don't make the cut or are overlooked? Um. <clears throat> A ball player or I'm a, sorry, a player? Yeah. Players. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, you know, there was a woman named Julie Cruto who played um, and, and then coached baseball at the college level. I don't know if women have had the opportunity to be scouted for 
Major League Baseball. I have my doubts, but I think what we're going to see is that more and more women are going to also play college ball, independent ball. So it may take five or 10 years, but I think there will start to be, and it'll take a visionary, somebody who realizes that a woman could add something, um, you know, that, that I think it'll happen. You know, when we talk about physical stature, um, heck, I was an okay baseball player when I was in high school, and I was a wrestler. I wrestled at 122 and 133, and I was able to be a—I'm not the fastest guy in the world, and I don't have physical uh, talent. I'm not born with a great body for sports, but I was able to be a pretty good second baseman and shortstop. I can't—I've seen women who were that quick, you know, that quick, that first step thing in the field. I've seen— Softball players who I think could really be good baseball players. I don't know what would bar them from, except not getting the opportunity. Yeah, why doesn't one of the, um, the scouts for a major league team go to softball and say, that person has plenty of potential, then they could easily trans, you know, pose those talents towards baseball as opposed to softball. And as an historian, Duke, my question for you is, there was a time when uh, African Americans couldn't play baseball. There were times when Latinos didn't play baseball, Hispanics. And all of that changed because they were good enough that finally owners just had to acknowledge it's in our interest to do it. Is that going to happen? I think it will. I just don't know how long it will take. I still don't think there will be a lot of women, although to your point, you know, there are major league baseball players now who are 5'5", five, 5'6". Five, five, Jose Altuve is about that size. And, you know, one of the stars of the uh, women's league in the 40s and 50s was essentially the same dimensions as Mickey Mantle. Some some women are quite big. I'm not saying they were built up as much as Mickey was, but they were there. Are, there are definitely women who who are of a large size and and are strong. So I, I, I think it'll take time because Major League Baseball is pretty reactionary. And I, and I don't think they're looking, you know, ad, avidly for talent. On the other hand, when you have a general manager who's a woman, when you have more women in management positions, probably some of them are going to be more willing to look for women to play for the teams. Well, uh, we are talking with Duke Goldman, and I'm not going to uh, pass up the opportunity. We're going to take a break, and right after that break, I want to talk playoffs with Duke Goldman. Lucky me. We'll be right back right after these messages. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. So this is Massachusetts way of saying, we think it's an important program. We think it's important enough to continue for students and their families. And we're going to put the money up front to make sure it continues so that if the federal government does not renew it, Massachusetts will still have universal school meals. 101.5, 1400 and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Katarina and Raul swing 30 feet above the street as the soul magnets get down. And Mr. G revs it up. The Amherst Block Party, this Thursday, 5 to 9. Show circus stilt walkers, jugglers, acrobats, and contortionists. Ollie the Clown makes balloon animals for kids. Nikki paints faces. The yo-yo people do tricks. Step dancing, kung fu, global eats on the street. Downtown Amherst is one big party. The Amherst Block Party, this Thursday, 5 to 9. Eat more kale, says the bumper sticker. Why assume I'm not eating enough kale? If you eat at Paul and Elizabeth's, there's always kale. 
There's the Caesar salad with kale, with romaine, or both. There's the vegetarian platter, vegetables sauteed to perfection, including kale, or just order a side of sauteed greens. Some people treat kale like one of those good for you but no one really likes it things. Maybe those people have never been to Paul and Elizabeth's restaurant. Inside Thorns in Northampton. A Jack Daniels Whiskey Barrel Pen and Pencil Set. A hand-painted holiday cheese platter. The Old Deerfield Fall Arts and Crafts Festival. This weekend, furniture, paintings, jewelry, clothing, quilting. Buy direct from the makers and artists. Stained glass and pottery. Dolls, toys, and teddy bears. Plus, an exhibit of the Deerfield Arts and Crafts Movement of the early 1900s. The Old Deerfield Fall Arts and Crafts Festival. This Saturday and Sunday in Old Deerfield. 586-1000. Good phone number, right? It's the number Whalen Insurance got when we opened in 1961. It's still our number more than 60 years later. If you need an insurance quote or have a claim, just call 586-1000. We answer the phone, ready to help. That's our pledge to you. Until now. Now when you call, we'll answer. And if it's something clerical or routine, like an address change, we're going to transfer you to the Arbella Insurance Call Center in Quincy. You'll be connected with a real person there, too. You won't be entering your policy number on the dial pad. The Arbella Call Center. I told myself Whalen Insurance would never do this, but insurance agent friends all over New England tell me it actually works really well. So we're going to try it. And if it doesn't work well, I'm sure you'll let us know by calling 586-1000. Whalen Insurance. Local people, local service, local insurance. In partnership with Arbella Insurance. This is Bill Newman, WHM. I'm the luckiest man in the world. I, I uh, get to live with the woman that I love. I live in a beautiful place in Ashfield, Massachusetts, and I get to talk baseball with Duke Goldman. Duke, we got the playoffs coming up. We got pennant races going on. What's it look like from your perch? Well, this year, there are more strong teams than ever, which, of course, also means there's more terrible teams than ever. But what you've got... For the first time in years, more of the strong teams are in the National League. I mean, right now, the Dodgers, Braves, Mets, and Cardinals are all really playing well. Um, the Braves have had a record comparable to what the Yankees had in the first half of the year. Here, they have lost. They've lost three in a row recently, but before that, there was something like 60 and 22 after having started poorly. Cardinals have been coming on. The Mets have been solid all year, and the Dodgers are probably going to win over 110 games. They are arguably the strongest team of all. But any of them, you know, when you get to the postseason, you know, any of them can be formidable. I think the National League playoffs are going to be really exciting. In the American League, you've got mostly the Astros and maybe the Yankees. I mean, the Yankees have been making some sound of getting back into it, but they've had such a historically bad stretch for a team that started out the first half of the season playing 700 balls. So I, I don't know. And they also have scads of injuries. Um, you know, the, the, the Rays and Blue Jays were supposed to be competing for the division crown in the East, and they're both still doing rather well. So you, you can't count those teams out either. I think the postseason this year is going to be fascinating. And as a Mets fan, uh, I hope that Max Scherzer is going to be back strong because even though the Mets are probably, they lack depth in their bullpen, but if they've got Scherzer and DeGrom 1-2 at their peak, at their best in the postseason, they will also be formidable. We have to so digress. We have to talk DeGrom. Um, 
I know what I see when I look. What do you see when you look at the Grom? Well, you know, I used to think that Pedro Martinez was the best pitcher at his peak that I'd ever seen. And then I saw DeGrom. DeGrom is the best. And it's not just what he looks like, that he has complete mastery of pitching. It's the numbers. I mean, you know, yes, he was injured last year and, and this year, so he hasn't pitched that much. Last year, he was 7-2 and two with a 1.08 ERA and had essentially the best first half a pitcher has ever had. This year, he came back, and so far, he's 5-1 and one with a 1.66 earned run average. But the more interesting thing is he has the exact same whip or walks and hits per innings pitched this year and last year, which is .554. He's barely giving up over a half base runner per inning. Consistently. are the best in history. Yeah, consistently. Well, when how, do you think it's his location? What, what do you think it is? It's everything. I mean, first of all, now, I will say to you, I don't think anybody's throwing that much faster than before. I think they've recalibrated the guns, um, you know, the jugs guns. But consistently, he's over 100 miles per hour, which he wasn't three or four years ago. And his locations are amazing. Yeah. One game a few weeks ago, um, batter swung and missed it, something like 21 sliders in a row that he threw because he has the kind of pitch that barely skirts the edge of the strike zone and, and then moves away. So he has location, he has command, and he has speed. He has everything. Uh, Mookie Betts said recently he thinks DeGrom is arguably the best pitcher ever. Now, you know, Mookie Betts never faced Walter Johnson or 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 uh, Roger Clemens for that matter, but you know um, clearly Degrom is the best pitcher going right now. Well, let's switch leagues. We're talking about we can see the end of the season, and uh, let's talk Aaron Judgment Day. Is he going to get there? <laughs> I think he will. Now he hasn't hit any homers in the last five games. He's had eight such stretches of five or more homerless games, but he's got 55. He only needs um, six to tie Roger Maris, seven to pass him, and many people still consider that the record since all the other people, Bonds and McGuire and Sosa, who went beyond Maris are all steroid creations. I think he's going to get it. I think he's you know going to bust out potentially in these next uh, couple of games against the Red Sox and hit a couple homers. You never know. He could go, he could go uh, homerless for the rest of the year and end up with 55, but I doubt that he will. Um, He's had an incredible season, um, and you know he has his OPS plus, on-base plus slugging uh, adjusted to uh, a, a, a normalized for a, a league is 205, hmm. and that is an average season for Babe Ruth. That is <laughs> almost exactly Babe Ruth's lifetime OPS plus. His OPS plus lifetime was 206. So you could say that Judge is potentially a Ruthian player, and he is awesome to watch. I saw him play AAA baseball when he wasn't well-known. He was a prospect. He wasn't even playing well, and I saw him play, and from the moment, first I saw him in the outfield, and I was like, wow, this guy moves for someone of his stature. And then I saw him at bat, and you could just tell that he had it. He looks like, like he looks so huge baseball. standing at the plate. He just looks like a very large human being. He is, and he's just very talented. Now, another guy who's very talented is Mike Trout. And Mike Trout had been injured for quite a while, came back recently, and now he has hit home runs in seven games in a row. And tonight he is going for the eighth game, which would tie 
Dale Long, a not well-known player from the mid-50s Pittsburgh Pirates, Don Mattingly, current manager of the Florida Marlins, and Ken Griffey Jr. for the most games consecutive hitting a home run, which was his eight. Um, let's see if Trout does it, but Trout is still an all-time great. Well, speaking of great performances, what about the guy from San, from uh, excuse me, St. Louis who is threatening to win the Triple Crown? Uh, Paul Goldschmidt, yeah, he's 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 having a great year. Although I would argue right now, Judge might even have a uh, a better chance of winning Triple Crown. Judge is, I think, about nine or ten points back in batting average, and he's clearly going to win home run and RBI titles. Goldschmidt was in closer to the Triple Crown numbers. He he was leading in batting average, home runs, and then recently he's actually tied for the lead in RBIs. He's no longer leading in home runs, and he's no longer leading in batting average. But he's, he's a great first baseman, played most of his years with the D-backs, and he's having, having an awesome season. There's a lot of players that are having, you know, really, really tremendous seasons. Mookie Betts is yet again, and I still think, for me, as a Red Sox fan, I lost interest in the Red Sox the day they traded Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts is an all-time player. He's, he's has 34 home runs, and this, with missing something like 20 games this year, plays an incredible outfield and just is an exciting player to watch. There's, there's just a lot of great players out there, and that's keeping baseball going despite everything that the owners and even the players are trying to do to ruin the game. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I'm laughing, but it's true. And uh, I, too, lost interest in the Red Sox when Mookie... Actually, I lost interest in the uh, Red Sox when they traded Babe Ruth. So <laughs> You've been around a while there, Buzz. Yeah, wow. <laughs> which, which brings me to a question for a baseball historian like you, Duke Goldman. How do you compare eras? I mean, people say it's folly to even try to compare eras in baseball, but what do you think? Well, that's where you have these statistics. The OPS Plus compares eras. It, 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 it levels the playing field, so to speak. Having said that, you always have to have knowledge of the different styles, the, the different um, rules, because the rules have changed, not a great deal, but a bit over time. Things like, you know, the steroid era where people were using enhancing substances. And I've always maintained that if Babe Ruth had steroids available, he would have used them without a doubt. But, you know. He used everything he else. Used everything. <laughs> I don't know he if those are performance enhancing drugs, though. <laughs> Some of them, maybe, yeah, but not know. a lot of them. Um, yeah, just you know, get drunk till three in the morning. That'll enhance your performance. <laughs> yeah, right. Ty, Ty Cobb famously said something like he was asked when he was 70 years old. Um, so what would you hit today? And he said something like, you know, 310. And they said, really, that's all? He said, yeah, you got to realize I'm 70 years old now. <laughs> <laughs> that is great. So, uh, so it's, it is hard to compare um, different eras. I mean, the players are so much bigger and 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 do so much more spectacular, you know, performances on the field, you know, and yet, you know, Willie Mays made the all-time catches in the 50s, and I don't know that anybody could do any better than that. What, one thing I often talk about is I don't think players have the throwing arms today that they used to have. Nobody throws like Roberto Clemente. There's a few people who have good throwing arms, but there used to be so many more players who could throw strikes from deep in the outfield and get players out of the plate, and I don't see that very much in today's I had that, uh, that that good fortune. I hate to turn it to me, but I was the bat boy for the Atlanta Braves, so I got to sit in the batting circle uh, and listen to, uh, for example, Sandy Koufax's ball hitting a glove. It was a sound to behold. It that crack filled the stadium, filled with fifty-two thousand people. 
and it just stood out. And I remember to this day, pitch after pitch after pitch, his curveball made that kind of noise. So I really wonder if Sandy Koufax was, of course, he burned out after like five seasons, but. Um, well, he had an arthritic elbow. I mean, and he decided his doctors told him, you can keep pitching, you just, just might lose your arm. So he decided at age 31, he was done, which, you know, a lot of other pitchers might have tried to keep competing. Uh, he's a bit of a creation of his ballpark. I mean, he had unbelievable numbers in Los Angeles and his home park. Um, he's not nearly as good as people think he was. I hate to say that, but I mean, at his peak, five Okay, years, now we have to fight. Years, but... <laughs> now we have to have a fist fight, Duke. Well, <laughs> going to duke it out. Great, don't get me wrong. But, you know, he didn't have a long career and... You know, I mean, again, I, I, I think you have to use the analytics to some degree and, and recognize that performances um, are affected by the ballparks and the conditions that these players play in. Hmm. It's a really good point. So, you have any predictions? Too early? I'm always reluctant to predict. I predict the Yankees will crash and burn, but, you know, that, that's, that's my fondest hope. Um, <laughs> Um, I, I guess I would say that, um, it, again, my biggest prediction is the Mets will be a, a significant player in the playoffs and may even get to the World Series if Scherzer and DeGrom are at the top of their game. Well, thanks um, so much. The Dodgers for... are formidable. They have to be. Thanks so much, Duke Goldman. It's always so great to talk to you. And Bill Newman. Uh, it's been fun to sit in for Bill Newman. The Yankees will crash and burn, says Duke. Really been fun sitting in with you today. Thanks. Join us tomorrow. My name is Joanne Vanine. I am a CASA worker, court-appointed special advocate for the organization Friends of Children. I first got involved with the CASA program back in 2004. I was still full-time employed at that time as the uh, dean of students at UMass Amherst. The case that inspires me relates to a young man. There were issues of physical abuse. There were issues of drug abuse. Through the advocacy work that I did, this young man was placed with a family in Springfield. It was a rocky start. But the good news is that this foster family stepped up and said that they would adopt him. Almost immediately, I began to see the change in him in terms of his own confidence in himself, which clearly derived from a sense of security. And that also was evidenced in the way he performed in school. The really happy ending to this is I got a text message saying to me, look at my report card, and he is on the honor roll. Learn more about becoming a CASA advocate by visiting Friends of Children's offices on Route 9 in Hadley or going to friendsofchildreninc.org. For Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. A Northampton Radio Group Station. It's 10